Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Sonny. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? What up, Nick? Good, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited, man. We've been kind of shooting the shit for a couple of minutes before uh, we hit record here. And I think we're going to have a great conversation, but I know you've also got some deep shit for us to get into. So I feel like this one's going to be one of those uh, heartstring ones, but um, has a redemptive ending to it. So I'm not going to give this whole thing away, but I know we were in for a good one. So, hey, man, why don't you give us some context? What do you do for a living? And tell us one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe a little odd or bizarre. Uh, well, uh, so as for what I do, I'm kind of a, uh, I, I just live my life. I don't really have one specific thing that I do. Like I try new shit all the time. Uh, but I'm a content creator, entertainer, uh, motivational speaker, mindset coach, and entrepreneur. Um, uh, currently I'm in the process of opening a cat cafe in Palm Springs, uh, Figured we'd try that out. Uh, we're setting up a, a franchised cat cafe that we're we're hoping uh, to that that that's gonna take off and do well, uh, which we know it will because we manifest success in our life. Um, and uh, I've gotten into photography lately, um, uh, so I have a couple photo shoots lined up tonight and tomorrow night. Going to go do some uh, photo shoots at a, at a couple of venues here in Palm Springs, and, and uh, I've really been into that lately. Uh, content creator on YouTube. I do reactions. I, well, not so much anymore, but I did uh, for a long time. Did reactions on YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, and Twitch. I do Twitch gaming as well. Uh, and I'm also a, a metal vocalist. So haven't been doing much of that lately, but still a metal vocalist. Once a metal vocalist, always a metal vocalist. Uh, and something people might not know about me is a little weird. I am a freaking diehard D&D nerd. I love Dungeons and Dragons, man. And <laughs> I I haven't been able to play it because I can't find any other D&D nerds around, but uh, I'm a diehard fantasy nut. I love everything from the, the Lord of the Rings type genre and a big D&D nut. So not a lot of people know that. I hope that I hope I didn't just lose cool points for that, though. <laughs> cool people play Dungeons and Dragons. I, I think there's a, there's a level of being real and honest with yourself that some people don't ever get to. Like, uh, I even think like with uh, games like that, where they're like, oh, no, no, that was for nerds because somebody told me that when I was a little kid and I never experienced it. And it's like, well, and how do you know? And they're like, I don't know, but I really like that show Heroes or I'm really into something else sci-fi. And you're like, then what the fuck? Look at the translation here. Uh, do you know what? 95% of people live to impress other fucking people. And that's 99% of 95% of people's problem. Ugh, yeah. Man, and before we go down that path, because I think that could be a solid path we get down, we need to go back to, you're talking about uh, doing, let's say, coaching and uh, content creating, but then you throw in a cat cafe. <laughs> right, just out of nowhere, right? So, uh, I mean, it, it kind of ties into the entire story of this mad, crazy train that is my life. Um, but my wife that, uh, my wife now, and, uh, I, we moved to Palm Springs about, uh, about a year ago, last June, and we were both, 
uh, entrepreneurial spirits, uh, and we, we, we have a, a, a innate desire to hustle. And we, we don't ever want to work for anybody else ever again. Uh, again, I, I don't, I'm not here for other people's use. Uh, and so we decided on a business. We're like, we need to start a business, and what do we want to do? And we actually toyed with the idea of a jewelry store at first because we're big travelers. Uh, so we do a lot of traveling, and we were like, we could go and design jewelry uh, and other cool little things that, based on where we've gone. But we both have this innate desire to help people. We, we want to give back to the world and leave a legacy. And there's really nothing in a jewelry store that you can help the world with. So we quickly scrapped that idea after looking at a couple of places and options. And we were sitting on uh, the porch of a Airbnb that we were staying at. And she just came out with it. She's like, I visited a cat cafe once in Virginia. Uh, maybe we should do a cat cafe. Fuck yes. Let's do a cat cafe. That'd be sweet. I went to barista school down in San Diego to learn how to be a barista. And uh, we just put the ball in motion. We're like, you know what? Let's just put one foot in front of the other and, and, and do it. And it's become a thing now. Frisky business cat cafe. It's pretty badass. Man, that is cool. So what does that look like? Uh, forgive me if I sound completely ignorant, but is it a bunch of cats in literally a cafe? Pretty much. It's a, it's kind of a trending business. It started in Japan. Uh, there's 125 registered cat cafes in the United States, 12 in California alone. Um, and it's, it's a coffee shop. It's like a coffee house that has cats in it uh, for adoption. So that uh, we're so we're partnered with the Palm Springs Animal Shelter. They'll provide kittens for us, uh, and it's it's so ours in particular is a mid-century modern lounge uh, that's kind of on the classier side. My wife's from England, so she loves you know the the posh side of things, uh, and it's mid-century modern. And there will be about twelve cats in there at any one time. Uh, so you come in and you can get a coffee uh, and a, a pastry or a, a biscuit or a donut or a sandwich, and then go into the lounge. Uh, and just hang out with cats and cuddle with some cats and play with them. And hopefully you fall in love with one of them and adopt it and take it home. That is a pretty genius idea. That's the concept. Yeah, it's it's pretty dope, man. Uh, I liked it from the moment she's talked about it. And so we went and visited several of them here in California. Went out to L.A. and San Diego and checked out some of them. And really cool concepts, man, because we're big animal lovers, too. And, uh, you know, most people avoid, like, animal shelters because it tugs at your heartstrings and you feel like shit. And if you're like us, you end up leaving with several animals. <laughs> and, uh, and so this helps with the visibility of the cats so that they'll get seen more because people don't have a problem coming into a cat cafe. So we're just we're trying to help get these cats adopted out and, and just do something cool for the world, you know? That's awesome, man. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a cat person. Uh, I'm not one of those people that hates them, but I'm more of a dog person. And when I look at that sort of stuff and somebody says a cat cafe, my brain just goes to the very surface level of it where, yeah, at the core, there's cats and it's a cafe. But the fact that you're able to actually kind of elevate where people aren't going to, they're not going to go. I, I know I do the same thing when I, I had two dogs years ago that we got them from a rescue, but we didn't want to go and see all the dogs because I almost felt like we were going to take them all home. We were going to have to fix this problem. It tugs at your heartstrings when you see a dog sitting there like, please love me. And you're like, oh my God. Oh. Yeah, I want them all. It's, but being able to walk in and get a uh, coffee and hang out. And if somebody connects with that animal and they're able to take that home, I mean, in some ways, that could be such a magical day for that person to go, well, I got coffee and I got this 
beloved animal at this point. And you know, and 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 the pri- most of them won't adopt the cat, right? So it's still because there's a huge demographic of people that can't have them but still love them. Like there's lots of cat lovers. Cat videos are the number one thing viewed on YouTube. Um, so there's a lot of people that love cats, and so you know, like the elderly community that comes in. Uh, they'll come in and just to hang out with the cat. They have no plans of adopting it, but they just want to come in and, and cuddle with the cat and hang out with it and go home. So it's it's just a laid back atmosphere that people can, you know, vibe with an animal and and enjoy a wonderful cup of coffee. Can you kind of charge them rent at that point? Like, look, you can sit here have one cup of coffee for twenty five dollars or whatever. Well, yeah, it's a, so it's a twenty two dollar fee, and you get a forty five minute session, so you can go in and, and buy your cat, and then forty five minutes in the in the lounge with the cats. So. And then we do events after normal hours. We're doing like drag bingo and uh, we have uh, other cool shows that are lined up. Like she's doing a, a mad cat or tea party because she's from England and she loves tea. So people come in and enjoy tea with the cats. And then, you know, we've got a book club once a month where people come in and do the book club thing with cats running around. And I think everything is just kind of more laid back and cool with cats involved, right? You got to be a cool cat, I guess. I see what you did there, Nick. I like it. Uh, dad jokes for the win. So uh, let's take a little bit of a step back because this is the you now and the thing that's happening now that you're passionate about, you're excited about. But honestly, dude, let's kind of get into some of the deep, crazy shit that you've been through. Um, the floor is yours, my friend. Where would you like to start? Uh, so, uh, I mean, you kind of got to start at the start. I'm from uh, a small town in Michigan out in the boondocks, uh, raised with a bunch of rednecks. And uh, uh, at age five, I started getting molested by my uncle uh and from the age of five until i was 10 i was molested by four dudes um one of my mom's boyfriends and a couple friends of the family and it became commonplace for me right like i felt like almost like this is just normal life how this is supposed to happen a five-year-old can't really process that kind of shit that's going on in his mind when this sick bastard's doing stuff to you right so it's uh and so that caused me to have a serious distrust in in men especially and in authority figures uh so when i was seven years old i got charged and convicted of my first felony Uh, i broke into a church and stole some shit and uh because it's small town politics and my mom was like this big anti-government protester uh the local authorities hated her and they took it out on us and uh i was charged and convicted of felony in 1988 seven years old uh and i fell in love with the attention from the police when they arrested me, because these are men that didn't want to touch my dick. They just, they were like, you know, be a good kid, discipline, discipline. Do you want to, you know, be a good kid, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, damn, that's a dad figure. And so I, I didn't have a father and, and I really liked that attention. Uh, and so I continued to break the law because that's the only way that these guys would come around, right? Like I didn't know how to get a cop to come around. So if I go and break something or if I break into something or if I steal something, the cops come. Like, oh, hey, there they are. And so I, I fell in love with the, the attention from the judge. And I'm a, I'm a entertainer by nature, right? Like I'm, I'm a very outgoing uh, social type person. And I, I love to interact with people, love to entertain, uh, love to sing, love to make people laugh. Uh, but when you're being abused like that, it, it, you, you become reclusive, right? So there's this dichotomy that's going on inside of my little five, six, seven-year-old mind where I want to be extroverted but I'm being abused and so I'm being introverted. And at the same time, I'm very compassionate and empathetic 
even towards the predators that are abusing me. I don't want them to get in trouble. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want the other family members to get hurt. So I'm just like, what the fuck do I do? I don't know what to do. Uh, and so my mother was a big, she was big into music, right? She was a singer songwriter and played guitar. And she had this amazing eclectic collection of music uh, that were tapes in this tape box. Everything from Elton John to Led Zeppelin to Meatloaf to White Snake to Poison to George Strait and everything in between, right? And that was my go-to. I would hide in the closet whenever her boyfriends were around or, you know, the guys that were abusing me. Uh, in my own for a defense mechanism, I would just go to the closet, put the headphones on and, and, and just lose myself in music. And, and again, I was a big fan of, of like Labyrinth and Secret of Nim and Lord of the Rings cartoons and all these things. And, and I would go in there and I would listen to music and fantasize about my own friends because I was a very extroverted person that was forced to be introverted. And so I created this own world inside this little closet of, of my own where I had friends and, and, you know, I'd be off on adventures and I got the music and this kind of just turned me into this, this very imaginative child that, that had this big, vast imagination. And, uh, but I also on the outside continued to just get into trouble constantly. And they never took me away. They never put me in any foster homes or anything. I don't know if my mom blew the judge or whatever to keep me out of there, but whatever it was, they never took me away. It was just always probation, probation, probation. Uh, which didn't teach me anything. So, so by the time I'm 13, uh, I now have you know 10 felonies on my record. Now I'm getting into drugs and alcohol and, and sex. And um, so when I turned 16, I got sent to prison. Uh, I, I stole some money from my high school safe, and they bound me over to adult court. The judge was sick of me. He was like, you know what? I'm done with you. Uh, bound me over to adult court, and they put me in county jail for six months. And so while I'm in there, all these other charges came up. And my mom, she took off. She, she was living in a, on state land in a tent with her then boyfriend. Uh, she came into the county jail the day I got sentenced. and was like, well, you're kind of on your own, kid. I love you, but I'm out. And she left for South Carolina with her boyfriend. So I was just kind of left to do this whole battle on my own. Uh, and then they just started coming with all these charges. And... I didn't know much about legal shit. I never really paid attention to it. I just always listened to the lawyer. And, and my lawyer was like, well, all right, just plead guilty to this and this and this. And next thing you know, you got two to five years. And I'm, well, I don't know what that means, but now you're going to prison. So a week later, I'm on a bus and I find myself in, in quarantine in, in, in Ionia, Michigan, uh, Riverside, which is weird. Uh, Riverside's the name of the, the quarantine. Uh, in the first week I was in there, I was raped by two dudes. Like they ran into my cell and they, they can had their way with me for about 15 minutes. And it, it was at that point in my life that I snapped and I was like, you know what? I'm never going to be a victim ever again. I don't give a shit what I have to do. I will become the most vile, vicious, violent motherfucker you've ever seen. I will never be victimized again. Uh, and I did, I, I went out and I stabbed both of those assholes for what they did. Uh, and I stopped caring. Like I was no longer afraid of physical pain because I mean, what are you going to do to me that hasn't already been done? Uh, and I, I just kind of disconnected emotionally. Like I just didn't care about anything anymore. Uh, and then they rode me out to a level four prison and I immediately fell in with the gangs. 
right? I, I went there and the gangbangers saw me. And I, I mean, I took every lesson that I saw. As soon as I hit the yard, I found the biggest motherfucker, went over there and just started teeing off on him. Bing, 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 bing. And he beat my ass. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing, man? You don't even, why are you doing this? You don't have, what, what the fuck? And I'm like, I got to earn my respect. And he's like, man, it's a different time, right? This is not 1979. This is 1998. Like, you don't have to do that anymore. You just be a respectful dude. I didn't want to hear shit he had to say anyway. Uh, but the gang loved it. So, the, you know, the gang came and approached me and I fell in love with that gang culture because it's like brotherhood and family and and I never really had that. So it's like, oh man, I love that. And I knew that the only way that they were going to continue that affection towards me is if I was this violent fucking dude. So I was. I mean, I, I just, it was a very bad train that I was on. And I ended up doing five and a half years um, and it was just all full of gang banging. It was so bad. Um... And then when I was 21 years old in, in 2002, they just opened the door like, oh yeah, your time's done. You can go. No probation, no parole, no oversight, just your time's done. And well, what did you think I was going to do? <laughs> I, here I am, 21 years old. I have no fear. I'm fully ingratiated into gang culture. And you just opened the door and unleashed me on small town Michigan. What do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> I robbed a dude the first day I was out. I went to a gas station and robbed him because I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I don't have any money. He gave me $75 and three condoms. That $75 lasted an hour. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, so I immediately got into robbing people and I was just, it was a train wreck, right? Like I didn't give a shit about anybody, anything. I felt the world had owed me something. I felt somehow the world fucked me over and you owe me. Uh, for everything that I'd been through in my life. So I decided to take it out on everybody. And I justified it in my own mind by saying, by telling myself that I was karma's enforcer, right? If something bad happens to you, it's because karma, right? Karma's a bitch. And so if karma's happening to you, you've done something bad in your life to deserve it. And I'm just the conduit that, that karma is using to uh, reap its, its, its punishment on you. And I used that in my mind to justify the shit that I was doing. And, uh, it was bad. I got two girls pregnant. I was only out for 22 months. I got two girls pregnant on opposite sides in, of, the, of the country, one in Michigan, one in Arizona. And uh, in August of 2002, I came back to Michigan and uh, I started doing a home invasion ring uh, with a buddy of mine just to collect shit and make some money and started robbing drug dealers. And that became a very lucrative thing to rob a drug dealer. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, what are you going to do? You're not going to call the cops and tell them I stole you your drugs, right? But yeah, 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 that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> you can't do that either. And uh, in September 2nd, 2004, uh, they, I, I was a very bad and violent altercation because one of the guys that I, I was going to rob turns out to be a pedophile. And so I had some internal aggression, apparently. Uh, and, you know, I, I unleashed on him pretty badly. And... I got arrested for that that day, and uh, yeah, I plead. I did a bunch of plea deals, got the violent felony dismissed because of the plea agreement, and pled to twenty felonies, and uh, got twelve years. Uh, and so back to prison I go at at, at twenty three years old, twenty four, and uh, now I got twelve years, thirty five felonies, and I'm like, Jesus, what am I doing with my life? I'm just fucking up. Right, and so I go back to prison. In the first six years of that bit, uh, or four years of that bit, were pretty much the same. Fell right back into the gang thing. It was comfortable for me. You know, I fell in there. I knew I had a reputation anyway. 
Uh, and, and then in 2008, my brother, I only have one sibling, uh, decided that he was going to have an affair with the mother of my oldest son. And at that time, that was like the only thing that I really cared about in my life was my oldest son and, and his mother. And, you know, she would bring the baby up to see me all the time while I'm incarcerated. And, and then that stopped, like, and that something snapped in me on that too. I'm thinking, you know, cause loyalty is a big thing to me. And my, my brother and I had done a lot of stuff in the, that little two years that I was out and I just, I snapped and I hurt a guy really badly and they gave me five years in the hole <laughs> and I'm thinking, shit. So I get to the hole and, and across the hall from me is this Muslim dude named Mallory Bay who just starts calling over to me every day like, hey, white boy, hey, white boy, come talk to me, man. And, and for the first week, I just, I cussed this dude out every day like, shut the fuck up, man. I don't know why you're talking to me. We are not on the same team. I don't fucking like you. I will stab you in the face if I see you. Shut the fuck up talking to me. And he never stopped. Every day, come talk to me, man. Come talk to me, man. So I got loneliness kicks in after about a week or so. And I, I, I go up I'm like, what, dude? What, what do you want to talk about? And I'll never forget the two things he said to me. Why are you so angry? And what are you passionate about in your life? And it just, it blew me away that he asked me those two questions. And I'm, I had no answer for it, right? I'm like, what? And he's like, come holler at me when you, when you, when you have an answer. And I sat and I thought about it for a couple of days and I'm, I just, I got no answer for it, right? I don't know what I'm passionate about in my life and I fucking hate everything and everybody. So I, that's why I'm so angry. And uh, over the course of the next 19 months, this man changed my life. He introduced me to philosophy and stoicism and self-help and self-healing and caring and love and empathy and compassion and helped me to feel every emotion that you can. I replayed my life over and over and over and analyzed every moment of hurt and happiness and joy and love and anger and something started to change in me. I started to think like life is not over, right? I'm only at that point like 27 years old. Like life's not over. I'm gonna get out of here when I'm 35. There's plenty of life left to live. And, and I had to define a passion. I knew that like I loved music. Music was a passion for me. I started singing all the time in the hole and, and it became a thing. People would call down and make requests. Hey man, sing that one song, that, that Superman song. What is that? <laughs> and so I would sing songs. And, uh, and I started writing essays and, and one of the, the tasks that he had me do was write out my own obituary, right? And take it very seriously. And so I did, and I highly recommend anybody to do this. Sit down and take it seriously. Write, write your own obituary from the perspective of the five people you care about the most. And it literally will give you a blueprint to what you want in life. And so after doing that, I started reading every book I could get my hands on. John C. Maxwell, all the leadership series, Personality Plus, everything I could read, philosophy, the art of war, the 48 laws of power, the prince by Machiavelli. I just started reading all these things and it really helped me to see like everything that happened in my life was like manifestation, right? Like you manifest everything in life. If you think the day is going to suck, it's going to suck. If you think that something bad is going to happen, eventually it's going to happen, right? And on the flip side of that, if you, if you know that something good is going to happen, it will. If you think that you're going to succeed and you believe in your heart that you're going to succeed, you will. Here I am facing five years in the hole and I'm telling myself I'm not doing all five years. 
I'm not doing all five of this. I started to write essays more and more, started sending it out to the activities coordinator in the facility, and she started coming down and saying, these are really good. <laughs> and they came back with this program called Thinking for a Change, a new uh, uh, program they were instituting in the facility and said, we'd like you to read over the course material, and if you're comfortable, we would like you to teach a class. And if you teach that class and you do well, we'll let you out of the hole early manifestation. I said I wasn't going to do all five years in this hole. And there, here's, a, here's an, an avenue out of here. So I started studying the material. Boom. And it told, shows you how to think before you act. And so it was a really good program. I liked it. Uh, and I, I signed up to, to teach the class. And of course, I didn't see the curveball coming, but they put me in protective custody to teach the class. And I don't know if you know anything about prison, but protective custody is the absolute worst place to be in prison. <laughs> it is full of the slimiest pieces of shit known to man. Uh, and I saw that as a challenge. Like, if I can teach these guys to think better, and 80% of them are pedophiles. And we all know that I have this, this innate hatred for pedophiles. If I can teach them to think differently, then I've mastered myself. And so I, I, I did, I went in there and I started teaching these guys how to think, how to stop and think before you act, before you do anything, think, stop and think. And I had a wonderful success rate with the class, it worked really well, uh, and they let me out of the hole early. I did, at, the, at 19 months out of the five years, they let me out. And that's when the challenges really started because when they let me out of the hole, here comes the gang, right? And the gang's like, oh, my boy, you're out. Now at this point, I had sworn off violence. I had sworn off gangbanging, all of it, because I'm a different person. I'm seeing the world through the lens of love and kindness now. You know, I know that if I put out love and kindness in everything that I see, that's what I'm going to get back. It's going to do, you know, you learn these, these wonderful things when you read about stoicism and philosophy. It shows you how love and light, love and kindness are the key to everything. We're all born from love, right? And at some point, something just happened in your life that derailed you off that path. And you got to, and we spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to it. And, and so I have this wonderful sense of detachment. My wife calls me the accidental Buddhist. Uh, one Buddha is one of the things that I've never really studied, but I have a wonderful sense of detachment. I can literally let anything go. Anything that hurts, I just let it go, right? Like it, it doesn't bother me anymore. Like I can talk to my uncle and just high five you like, you actually helped me, bro. Like the shit that you did to me has actually created me who I am right now. Uh, so I get out of the hole, the gang comes back and I'm like, hey, listen, I'm done. I'm over it. And, and they don't like that. They're like, no, 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 you, you can't just quit. And it's like, well, I am quitting. I'm not going to do it. And you can't force me. Nobody in this earth can force me to do anything I don't want to do. Uh, and so that led to them jumping me and beating the shit out of me all the time. Uh, and it got to the point where I said, you know what? I have to draw a line in the sand. I'm aware of the environment that I'm in. If you touch me one more time, I am going to seriously fuck you up. Stop touching me. Just leave me the fuck alone. Uh, and they didn't. And they jumped me one more time in the bathroom. Uh, and I, I decided at that point I was going to make an exception. And I went up to the uh, leader of the gang on the yard at that point, and I seriously fucked him up bad. And they left me alone. After that, they never touched me again. And 
I mean, to this day, that's the one thing that I, I still kind of, I have no regrets because I think everything that happens in life happens for experiential purposes. And it puts us in the position that we are currently in. Um, but that's the one thing that I, I, I was mad, more mad at myself because I made a vow to not be violent anymore. And I, I, I saw no other way out, you know, and, and so I did it. But I spent the rest of my time teaching other men the things that I had learned. Uh, we started doing focus groups and study groups on the yard. And, and I got into yoga and started, I mean, I got 30 criminals on the yard <laughs> doing downward facing dog and shit, right? Uh, and it's actually funny, but I still stay in touch with a, a nice group of them. They're all successful people, business owners, homeowners, uh, and I've kind of mentored them on, on getting out. And so that kind of pushed me towards wanting to be a motivational speaker and a mindset coach. Like I want to, I want to continue to help people because this life that I live now, this mindset that I'm in now, the self mastery is, it's amazing. Right? Like I can find happiness anywhere. You could put me in a can filled with a bunch of killers and I could be happy. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Victor Frankl wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, which this is a guy that's in the Holocaust. You know, he's in Auschwitz and he still managed to smile and help other people smile. And it's one of the most profound books that I ever read. And, and I related to that heavily. Uh, and, and I want to help people because just because I'm in prison isn't, Everybody can be in prison, right? You can be in prison even if you're out here. Like people get stuck in their own minds and depression and sadness, and it's a form of a prison. And I want to teach people how to get out of that, how you can overcome that, because there's nothing in this world, nothing in here that you can't overcome, that you can't conquer with this, right? It's your biggest enemy, but it's your biggest asset as well. And uh, so I, I got out in August of 2016, and you know, things took a whole different course because I was now able to put this stuff into motion. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy, right? Like I've still had a lot of ups and downs that, that took place. Uh, but that's the next chapter of, of my life on this crazy little train. You want me to keep going? <laughs> well, I, I hope that your train keeps going. Yes. Uh, I, I find it super interesting that you pull in Victor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, if, the audience, if you haven't read that book, you need to pause this, go find it, and start reading it right now. Like, I allow you to stop listening to the episode right now, go read it. That is one of those life-changing books, which I find that I've actually read it at a point where um, it was right before I was getting a divorce. And after I finished that book, that was one of those moments where I was like, this is the path that I'm going on. And I found that different people I talk to about that book are like, I've read it at a pivotal point or right before that pivotal point. And that was the thing that kind of pushed you over. So for you to say that that was kind of similar in that sense, let's break that down a little bit. Because if you think about where Victor was, he was a psychologist and working normal life and helping and serving. And then boom, next thing you know, he's on a fucking train. And the shit that he went through and even getting those points, because you've brought this up a couple of times where you had those break points where you're like, I, I just snapped. You snapped when you were a little kid and you went into the closet. You snapped on a couple people when you were older and then figured, oh, fuck, I can get people to pay attention to me. I'm going to snap more. But those big snaps, those things happen when you're actually forced to get that thing done because your character comes out. So, man, it's crazy that you've been through what you've been through. But you're not one of those people that has taken it and kind of continue down that path of negativity. 
And there are people that live a life where they're in that sort of prison like you're talking about and they're nine to five or their marriage or whatever. And perspective is is a huge thing because if they can hear this and go, oh, fuck, at least it's not that sort of situation. But what sort of advice would you give them that you managed, like how you manage your mindset in those split moments, you know? One of the things that I learned early in my, my transformation phase during the 19 months in the hole was that pain and sadness and loneliness and despair become comfortable, right? Because you know what's coming, you know what to expect, right? Like you know what hurt feels like. So you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I can handle that. Oh, I'm sad. Hmm. And it doesn't, it's not, it, it doesn't have the impact that it had the first time you were sad. Like there's some things that are so excruciatingly painful that you never do it again. Go grab fire. That's a one-time thing. You'll never do that shit again. Learned. Right. Right. Got it. <laughs> Fuck that. And you just don't do it again because you understand that level of hurt. That's actual pain, right? That's like fear of death pain, right? Like, so a little bit of sadness and pain is like, it, it's like, it's a muscle, right? Your memory is like a muscle. Your mind is like a muscle. If you ever go to the gym and you work out the first time you ever did a workout, it sucked a couple days later, like that shit hurt. Right. But it wasn't such a traumatic pain that you didn't want to keep doing it. You kept doing it and then you grew stronger and it became easier. And the more you did it, the easier it is. So our voice is like it, it, it's like working out. Right. And that's that's your conduit to healing. The more you talk about things, the more you speak your feelings, the easier it gets because it hurts to talk about it. Right. Like to say that I was raped by two men. People don't expect somebody that looks like me or that's been through 18 years in prison or some shit to talk about that, right? Because a lot of it happens to one in six boys in this in this world are molested, and they don't talk about it because we we got this macho fucking thing that we're not supposed to talk about it, right? And but the more you speak it, the more it the the less it affects you, and the, the easier it is to talk about it, right? So that's how you heal. It's just like healing. It's just like your muscle. It's just like soreness that goes away after time. You can talk about it. You speak it and speak it. We, 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 we are separated from every other living entity on this earth by our voice. We are the only creatures that really can speak except for like a, a freaking bird that, that can develop a sentence. But we're the only ones that can really speak. So we, can, we, we have that self-awareness that we can talk about what hurts us. The problem is, is that the pain and the sadness become comfortable. And so if somebody's listening to this right now and you're like, fuck, my life sucks, it's because you're comfortable being sad. You're comfortable being hurt. You're comfortable being in pain and you don't feel that you're worthy of happiness because a lot of times the biggest hurt came right behind the moment of, your, of, of the happiest time in your life. Like when you were really in love and you were really happy and then she broke your heart and oh, so now you're afraid to love again because you're afraid that that, that pain's going to come back. So it's easier to just be sad and depressed all the damn time than go out of your comfort zone. And so that's the advice that I would give people that right now, if you're just feeling stuck in a rut and, and life sucks, it's so much better to get on the other side. Start talking about it. And, and it doesn't matter who it is. People are so afraid of being judged. Pull a random stranger off and just dump all your shit on them. <laughs> You know what I mean? You'd be surprised who you'd help with that because most of us have experienced the same shit that most of us have, 
right? Pain and trauma are pain and trauma. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if that I've gone to prison and somebody else hasn't. It's still pain, right? It's still trauma. We, it, it, the mind processes it the same. We, we have this self-defense mechanism that goes up to try to protect ourselves from, from being judged or being laughed at or, or being, you know, sought as anything less than anybody else. So we put up these defense mechanisms to try to, to protect ourselves from that. Uh, but when you get comfortable with, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't answer to anybody else, right? This is my life. I'm the one that has to live this. I get to live this. You don't. You get to live your own life, and my life is at the end of the day none of your fucking business, and your life's none of my fucking business. You know what I mean? But we we both have the same goal of happiness, right? Everybody deserves to be happy. So if you're listening, you deserve to be happy. And the only thing preventing you from being happy is yourself. You are the only one that can make the choice to stop being miserable and start being happy. And, and you can. It's like the art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> if, you, if you can master the art of not giving a fuck, you're going to be so much happier. Like, and, and not giving a fuck doesn't mean that, that you're some cold-hearted, uncaring person. It just means that I'm not going to allow you to rent space in my mind to dictate how I live. You know what I mean? I'm one of the most compassionate people you're ever going to see. I, I volunteer out at, at homeless shelters. I'm an ambassador for Buddha bullying. I go into schools and talk to kids about bullying and, and teach parents and teachers and give them the tools to recognize bullying and, and understand the genesis of it and try to help kids stop being bullied. So I'm by far not some selfish prick that doesn't care about the world. But on the other hand, I don't give a shit what you think about me. <laughs> I don't care. If you don't like me, that's your problem, not mine. I'm happy and I'm going to continue to be happy. I, and my happiness doesn't prevent anybody else from being happy. And, and I think that that's a key thing. I agree. Yeah, it's absolutely a key thing. I do think that subconsciously even, most people will look for other people to tell them how they should be. And they look for those people around them and then they expect it to be one way. And then they look at you and they'll judge because it's not because it's not really what they're feeling. So you live in a state where you're like, I don't really give a fuck because I really do actually give a fuck. But I give a fuck about the things that I give a fuck about. The other things, I don't give a fuck. Right. You know, and, and you see it a lot of it in the person. It's like, I don't give a fuck what people think about me with your goddamn Gucci sunglasses and your freaking super thousand dollar suits and your freaking $600 Nike shoes. And like, the only reason you're wearing that shit is to impress other people. Like... You're really not comfortable in that shit. I'm comfortable as hell in my $3 Buddha bullying t-shirt and all this. And I, and, and I mean, I've been known to go to these, these, these business events out here in the freaking t-shirt and jeans. Like I'm comfortable. You know, I'm not here to impress you. Let me, imp uh, my goal is to teach people. Yeah. The, one of the, the Epictetus, not, no, Seneca, one of the greatest Stoics of all time said, that we're all here for the sake of each other because we're all community people. We're here for the sake of each other. We either teach or tolerate. Uh, and I don't, I'm not here to tolerate. I'm here to teach. I believe that I was given a gift to teach because I, I, I know how to read well. I know how to write well. Uh, I'm an articulate guy, you know what I mean? And, and I believe that that was a gift. And my experiences were all part of that gift to help teach other people so that maybe I can help somebody else avoid the shit that I went through. Because I wouldn't change anything that I've been through because that's what made me who I am. But I believe I was given that gift to try to help other people to avoid or if you've gone through it already to get over it.
And, and you know, there's it, we live in a very sensitive culture at this time where being politically correct and all that stuff is, is big. Uh, and then with cancel culture and all this stuff, a lot of people are afraid to actually say what is what needs to be said. And that's get over it. <laughs> you know, get over your shit. So what? You know, bad shit happens to everybody. Get over it. Because the only reason that you're still sad or depressed is because you're allowing that shit to be there. Just get over it. Because at the end of the day, nobody else really gives a fuck either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody else... Well, they got their own shit to get over. Right. Everybody's got their own shit. So nobody's, you know, you see somebody put a post out. Oh, my life is so bad. I just don't understand why. Nobody actually gives a fuck about what you just said. You might get a couple of likes from people that feel indebted to like your shit because they call you a friend. But nobody actually read that and they're like, oh, this poor person. I should, I should do something. <laughs> they, they don't give a shit. They got their own shit to deal with. They're like, I'll scroll. Right. <laughs> Yeah, like, keep going. Right, nobody, they don't actually care. So when you when you come to understand that nobody actually really gives a shit, you can, it's easier for you to stop giving a shit and, and start focusing on what makes you happy and do that. Yeah, oh man, absolutely. It, the, the fact of giving a shit to the point where you actually understand that you care enough about other things that you care about to give your time and effort to that is a beautiful level where a lot of people kind of live at the, let's say, surfacey level of that, where the pain hurts enough for them to bitch about it, but they really don't want to do the things that they want to do. As a coach, I know you get this because you probably talk about this with your clients like I do with mine. You've got to be able to be aware of what the fuck the problem is before you can do anything about it. And then from that, being able to figure out, yeah, and you figure out what are you keeping, what are you getting rid of, and what are the meanings to all those but I think a lot of people are just so afraid of the unknown of that because they think like, holy shit, this is going to be such a monster. And they don't go near it because they have this giant, big, hairy, scary monster image in their head. And it's not always real. The shit that you've been through, the scary, fucked up and demonic moments that had happened to you and things that you poured out. Well, those things, I do think in some ways, and it can be easy for me to say this, not having gone through your shit, but I've gone through my own shit that I've noticed that people look to that and go, oh, well, I had something that was a little less so I can see where you're coming from. They can relate with that. Like you can have different conversations, like think about, think about people that you've talked to that probably can't have a conversation with some of the people that are in some of those previous circles that you were a part of where you can have fucking conversations with those people because they have a level of respect or at least can connect with you off the bat where somebody who's a Bible thumper or something of that sort, it's a whole different story, but they can connect with people that would be harder for you to connect with. So it's almost like we're here to be able to connect with people at a certain level that we're able to get to. Right. And I, I love to connect and talk with everybody because I'm going to learn something from you, whether I agree with you or not. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to learn something from you and, and learn. We all learn every day. And that's another key to growing is to be receptive of your ability to learn. You know, a lot of people will put up a block if, you know, uh, he's a Trumper. I, I, I got, I don't want to talk to that motherfucker at all. You don't know why he's a Trumper though. You don't know if he was, you know, born under this, this brainwashed militant mindset that we all grew up in worshiping a goddamn flag. So he might just be this hoorah USA and doesn't know Trump at all, but he's a Trumper. And you block yourself off to the beauty that is that human being because he has beautiful things to offer the world. You just don't want to talk to him, 
right? And so, uh, you know, and I avoid politics like the plague because that's always just a, you know, it's a, fucking, it's a shit show. Uh, it's a very slippery slope. Uh, but again, it's another distractive mechanism put into place to distract people from being happy. Like, if you learn to not give a shit about politics, you're going to be that much more happier in life. <laughs> like, don't give a shit about it. Man, totally. Yeah, it's funny. There are people that will bitch about things. I'm like, how often do you watch the news? They're like, every night. I'm like, so do we need to continue this conversation? Or did you get the fucking point? And, and what they don't realize is, you know, fat people are fat because they ingest a whole lot of food. Skinny people are skinny because they don't ingest a whole lot of food. Uh, if you are what you ingest, it's the same thing mentality-wise. If you sit down and watch the news every day, guess what? You're you're ingesting shit because all the news is is depressing, sad shit. And so when you're watching that, you're going to be a sad, depressed person because once you take in, you're going to want to talk about. You're going to want to put out the same thing you took in. And, you know, just like food goes in, what does it come out as? It's, it comes out as shit. And so if you ingest, right, if you ingest good, positive stuff and just positivity, you're going to start living that. You know, if you wake, like I wake up every day and I read The Daily Stoic by Ron Holiday. It's just, or Ryan Holiday. Amazing. Right? It, it, the dude takes the time out of his life to send an email every day. The Daily Stoic. And you just read about Stoics and how they live their life. And these men, like like Marcus Aurelius, right? Like this guy lived in such a shitty world. Uh, and he was such a happy dude. And he wrote down so much stuff for people to read and he didn't even write it for anybody else he wrote it for himself for his own personal journals but what we can learn from that is 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 how to be happy in a world that's falling apart right and, and you every day you just ingest good stuff and your life is going to be that you are what you would you, what you take in man i love that point um so i also read the daily stoic and you'd mentioned John C. Maxwell earlier. Um, I have a daily devotional from John, and those are two of my daily readers, along with the Bible, and then whatever books I'm reading. Like right now, I'm going through the tipping point. So for the audience, I want you to take note of that. You've heard this on different episodes where we read something or journal in the morning. So if you're not doing that, fucking try it. Just straight up, try me. See what happens with it. Because the Daily Stoic is a, a one-pager. Try it. What do you, what do you have to lose? Right. You got nothing to lose. It takes 10 minutes of your morning. You got nothing to lose. Try it. If you don't like it, stop doing it. But I promise you're probably going to keep doing it. Right. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's probably where we challenge ourselves and kind of grew from there. 100%. And yeah. And, and find some type of faith, man. You know, I, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not an organized religious guy, right? Like I, I'm, I'm an Odinist. I, I, I'm a big, I'm Danish, so I'm a big follower of uh, the religion of the Vikings. I absolutely love it. Uh, but I have studied the Bible more than most Christians and <laughs> know it front to back. And you're only going to benefit if you, if you read it. You know what I mean? It, it's, if you give yourself something, again, spirituality and positivity, it, 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 it changes you, right? Like it, it gives you something happy and positive. I don't give a shit what religion you do because all religions at, the, at their core are good, right? It's not about religion. It's about, it's about spirituality and knowing that we're more than what we accept of, of being. You know what I mean? And on that note, you know, it, 
It's been a pleasure to have you on, man. I appreciate you getting in everything you get into. And we could probably sit here for another three hours. Shit, at some point, you'll come back on the show. Yeah, because, I mean, we just got to the point where we, we got out of prison. Because uh, there's been a whole music career. There's been an entire YouTube career. There's been a, a corporate career. There's <laughs> there's a whole lot of shit that's happened just since I've been out. So, Yeah, man, we'll have to do another episode or two. Uh, but why don't you give us some sort of advice to the people that are on their path towards self-mastery and kind of wrap this thing up for us? Uh, just be authentic, man. Authenticity, it's scary, right? You're, you're going to be afraid of losing people. At one point in, in this crazy journey, I, I achieved global fame on YouTube. I had over 50,000 subscribers and people followed nonstop. And I've lost almost all of that simply be, by being authentic and it, it hurts way less than you think it's going to hurt, right? It, it's, it's okay to lose your, your new life will cost you your old one. And if you're not happy with the life that you currently have, you have nothing but to gain from getting a new life. Let this one go and start over. You can start over any moment. There's nothing to prevent you. You can start over at any moment. You can start over right fucking now right now awesome right now right now sonny you're the man appreciate you being on we'll definitely have you back at some point uh, hey where can people find you i appreciate you nick where can uh where can people connect with you uh just google sonny von cleveland and you'll find everything from there there's going to be a link to everything if you just google it but it's sonny von cleveland on all platforms you can just pop it in you're going to find me Beautiful. I'll have some of that in the show notes as well. Again, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts. and Check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, The Manly Club and The Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Men, do you consider yourself to be a powerhouse man? The criteria for becoming one is simple. Live with virtue and do good work. You see, a powerhouse man builds his life He doesn't settle for it. He attacks mediocrity at the root, and that's exactly what we do in the Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Visit powerhousemen.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-H-O-U-S-E men.com. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you. 